Hi, and welcome this day. Sorry for the delay, as it has been one of those with ice storms and lack of power, but so glad you are choosing to join us now. May you be inspired and know that God goes with you during this time. Let us pray. Creator God, as we try to understand your presence in our life in this world, Help us to experience your grace and love. Show us new ways of understanding. Open us up to new possibilities. May the words we read in scripture this day give us new insight, new ways of thinking, new perspectives into how you are at work in our lives and in the world around us. Amen. Have you ever felt like you just can't get any clarity or you feel unsettled with not knowing what's going to happen next. This sense of ambiguity all around kind of swirling and like, man, how can I figure this out? Like, how do I figure out what's next, which way to go, what decisions to make? Do you ever find yourself frustrated or maybe even feeling some anger, maybe even angst or despair because nothing seems to be clear in the moment. Nothing seems to give you any direction. And so the question then becomes, well, where is God guiding? Is God present? How is God in this moment? And especially with respect to God's grace. And so for this season of Lent, we're looking at how is God's grace present in our lives when different things are going, especially those tensions of life like ambiguity, like not having any clarity as to which way, what to do, what decisions to make, how do we get through this moment? And it's kind of interesting to talk about this, especially in relation to what's happened here in the Midwest, in Southeast Michigan, with the ice storms. And a lot of people, we either didn't know if we were going to lose power, or if we did lose power, when are we going to get power? And it causes stress, it causes angst, it causes frustration of going, I don't know what's going to happen next. And so for today, we are going to get into the stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. And we're going to look at two different ones. And it's important to note, John the Baptist is present in all four Gospels, a vital part of Jesus' ministry, especially at the beginning. Only in the book of Luke is John the Baptist made to be, uh, or is said to be Jesus' cousin. And in the book of Matthew that we're getting in to, we are going to see how even John, he's got some questions. Like he's trying to figure this out when things aren't clear for him. And so how do we understand God's grace? And there are many aspects to God's grace. So when we're going through it today, to think in terms of God's grace as something of favor, like holding up choosing love, choosing forgiveness and mercy, no matter what, that God keeps giving it and that there's nothing we can do to earn it. It just is there. And so as we move through it, for us to hold on to that aspect of grace, and even as we discover more. So starting in Matthew, the third chapter, verses one through six. In those days, 
John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea announcing, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one of whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem throughout Judea and all around the Jordan River came to him. As they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. All right, so John is a bit of an oddball. He's a little bit weird. He eats locusts and honey. He's probably not the first guy you would think of uh, going, wow, I can't wait to invite him over for dinner. And he wears this leather belt and this hairy shirt. And even for the first century people, they're like, he's a little odd. But his message, his message is change your heart and lives, the kingdom of God, right? Here comes the kingdom of heaven. So kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, just a, a reminder, it just means God encompasses our entire lives. And so he's like, hey, change your hearts and lives. God is encompassing. God's, we're going to understand what it means for God to encompass our lives. So let's change our hearts and lives right now. And then he baptizes them. It's a ritual that was popular at the time. It was popular in connection with going, okay, so forgiveness of sins. And again, sin just means missing the mark. It is, none of us are perfect. We all screw up. We all need help in this world. And it's a sense of, okay, I'm going to leave that behind. I'm going to leave that part of my life behind and I'm going to take a new course. I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to be focused upon God. And so people are coming and they are being baptized as a ritual. And we have many, many rituals in life, but as a ritual of significance to say, okay, I have, I am now changing. I'm going in a different direction. And so people are coming from all over because they're, they're like, wait a minute, do I need to change my heart, my life? Do, do I need to be more focused upon God? And that kind of makes sense, right? When we're like, man, this life is not what I wanted. When we're not getting clarity, when we think, man, it is hard. How do I figure this out? How, which way do I go forward? John is giving them an opportunity. He's giving them encouragement and he's giving them some hope. Continuing on in verses 7 through 10. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, you children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is, your, is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. All right, so John uses some pretty stark, pretty in-your-face kind of language, and he's doing this specifically with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They show up. They're like, hey, we want to be part of this because it'll make us look good. So some false piety here. And he's questioning them. He's actually questioning why are you here? What are you doing? Do you even understand what's going on? Or is this just because you want it to make you look good? And so he's trying to disrupt their thinking. 
He's trying to disrupt them because he wants them to change their hearts and lives. He wants them in a different direction. He, he wants the best, but he's like, hey, wait a minute. Like, do you even know what your intention is here? Do you even know why you are doing this? And so he hits on three things. The first comes with, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? He's questioning, have you shown up here because of fear? Because you fear punishment. And what's interesting about this whole angry judgment is that he's actually calling them out for what they do. They like to judge others. They like to be angry and judgmental. We see that throughout the stories where they're angry at Jesus. And so they're being judgmental about what Jesus is doing. Because, and they like to punish people because they're not doing exactly what they think they should do, when they should do it. So here he's putting this back on them. Like, are you, are you afraid? Like, are you fearful of punishment? Is that the only reason you've come out here to figure out what you want to change about your heart, about your life, about what's going down, like how you're connected to God? And so often we want to equate this to God's judgment, that God's judgment is angry. But every time we read or we're looking through the New Testament, trying to get little pieces or even judgment in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, we find these pieces where God's mercy and God's forgiveness, God's love, that God does not abandon the people. It may feel like it in a moment, but then the next there's God, that God's judgment is one of guidance into mercy, grace, forgiveness, and that it's a way of going, wait a minute, I think not it's such a good path. Let's Let's go a different way. Let's, let's find a different way of moving and being, of, of trying to figure out how we are connecting to God, that what we're doing may be detrimental to ourselves or to others, and God's mercy and forgiveness keeps calling us back, that that judgment of forgiveness, of mercy, of love. And so he's calling the Sadducees, the Pharisees, out on this because that's not their kind of judgment. They like the whole anger punishment thing. And so he's like, is that why you showed up? And then he asked them a second thing, or he, he states it, but he's trying to get them to think. Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. What are you producing? What do you want to produce? Are you just doing this for looks, or do you want to take a different path? Do you want to produce something different in life? As we're thinking about that for ourselves, what do we want to produce? What are we currently producing? Are we producing anger and despair and discontent? Are people like, ooh, I don't want to be around? Is it, ooh, why so negative? What are the things in our life that we do want to produce? That How are we going to get focused upon God's love, God's grace in our life, that favor of constant forgiveness and mercy calling us up? And then he goes on to say, and don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. So here he's calling them out on, they think they're entitled to. They think they have special status and that they deserve, they, they deserve special status with God. And he's like, no, 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 all of us, all of us are loved by God. You don't get special status because of. 
And for ourselves, maybe we already feel like we struggle with worth or in, we definitely don't feel entitled to anything. And so here, for those listening, this is like some hope of saying, no, God calls all of us. God calls all of us to change our hearts, change our lives, have our entire life be encompassed by God. And nobody's getting special privilege because of. And so to think about that of thinking through what that reveals about God's grace. That it, it, it's revealing God's presence and that even though we think, okay, John, your words to the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're pretty strong. He's still calling them to a different way of living and being, but he's trying to get them to disrupt the way that they're engaging with others, the way that they're engaging their life, the way that they're engaging their thoughts and perceptions and beliefs and so for ourselves, how do we allow God's grace to begin to disrupt our thinking, our being, our living, the way that we engage with others, the way that we engage with those internal voices? Continuing on in verses 11 through 12. I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husk is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husk with a fire that can't be put out. All right, so here he's making a distinction between himself and Jesus. Right? So John, change your heart, change your life. We'll do a ritual. Like there's a different way for God to encompass your life. Here, the distinction with Jesus is Jesus is the presence, is the presence of God with us, bringing the Holy Spirit like fire. Now, this image of fire is kind of interesting because so often we think of the image of fire as consuming everything, if we want to let go of something, right? Sometimes we'll write something down and put it into the fire so that it is eliminated. And that is a great image. But here, John turns the image a little bit different. And here's what's important to know. We need to know Zechariah in this moment. In fact, we need to know Zechariah 13.9, which says, I will put the third part into the fire. I will refine them like one refined silver. I will test them like one tests gold. They will call on my name and I will respond to them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is our God. So we need to know Zechariah 13.9, which is talking about using fire to refine, to mold, to shape. That fire is used also with precious metals to mold them into beautiful things. And that what Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the presence of God with us, begins to shape us and mold us in ways that maybe we never thought possible, but is able to unleash a beauty, is able to unleash a love, and that it never goes out. So when he says, but he will burn the husk with a fire that can't be put out, that grace, that grace that Jesus embodies, the God's grace that Jesus has, that Jesus gives us all, 
that that grace begins to refine and shape us and will never stop. So to think about that, to think about that when we're in those moments of like, I can't get a clear picture. I don't know what in the world's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. I, when we feel like we're on a razor's edge of life and we don't know which way to turn, how are we allowing God's grace, God's mercy and forgiveness to shape us, mold us, to refine us? How are we allowing God's grace to refine us when our life is anything but clear. When we are facing challenges and situations and we don't know which way to go, how often do we begin to focus upon, all right, how is God's grace going to shape me in this moment? What if we begin to ask that? When things are ambiguous, when we there's feeling of such unknown, when maybe we even feel that despair and fear kind of creeping in because we don't know which way to go. We don't know what's going to happen. What if we begin to allow God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness to shape and mold us in new ways of understanding for ourselves but also for everyone around us. Moving now to Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6. Now when John heard in prison about the things that Christ was doing, he sent word by his disciples to Jesus asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus responded, Go report to John what you hear and see. Those who are blind are able to see. Those who are crippled are walking. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who are deaf now hear. Those who are dead are raised up. The poor have good news proclaimed to them. Happy are those who don't stumble and fall because of me. All right, so we've gone ahead in the timeline. At chapter 3, John's baptizing. We get a little sense. Jesus comes out to John. Jesus is baptized by John. So they have... A connection. And here, as we fast forward, we get this question. And what's important to remember is at this point in John's ministry, John has been imprisoned by Herod. He, he senses, he probably senses that death is on the horizon, but he doesn't know when, he doesn't know how. Everything's kind of up in the air. His life is ambiguous as to when and how it's going to end because Herod was a cruel, cruel man and he is going to behead John out of spite, out of fear, out of power, out of control. And so here, John is in the midst of some suffering, of pain, of the unknown. And he asked this question, of Jesus, which is kind of interesting to think about. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And even though John understood so much about Jesus' ministry and understood and was trying to connect with God on all kinds of levels, he still didn't in this moment, because of everything going around, everything is swirling around him, he still had questions and that's okay. 
it's okay for us to have questions. In fact, we should have questions. We need to ask questions. We need to seek out. We need to search for how is God at work? Where is God's grace? How is God moving and being? How is God refining? How is God shaping me? How am I responding to that grace? Here, John is giving permission with his own searching, his own questioning, and Jesus responds to him in grace. But a little bit different, like he gives us yet another layer of what grace looks like. Jesus responded, those who were blind are able to see. And this, as soon as Jesus starts in his response, this would have made the followers of John go, wait a minute, is he playing off of Isaiah 61, one through two? And he is. And so, well, what does he mean by and so here's a way to think about what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is trying to give to John, what Jesus is saying about God's grace and how it is shaping and changing and giving people new life. Those who are blind are able to see. People who are in need of perspective, who are in need of seeing the world through a lens of love are now able to do so. Those who are crippled are walking. Those who have had trouble moving forward of getting stuck in the muck, in the pain, in the despair, in the anger, who can't seem to get away from it, have found a way forward with God, who have found a way through the difficulties. People with skin diseases are cleansed. The moment of recognizing, of remembering those stories that when people had a skin disease, when they had something of leprosy, when those skin diseases happened, they were shoved to the edge of society. They were thrown out of their community. And here Jesus is like, nope, everybody's in. Everybody is welcome. All are part of the community. Those who are deaf now hear. We are now able to listen. We can hear one another. We can listen to one another in our pain and in our joys. We can hear one another the struggles. We can hear and listen and be present with one another. Those who are, were dead are raised up. There are so many times, right, where we feel like that something is draining. There are situations or maybe relationships where it is so draining upon us, where it feels like I don't want to crawl out of bed this day. And here, Jesus is like, the grace of God gives us the strength to get up and go, to be able to go. We, we've got energy for this. We've got energy. We can keep going. We do not have to give up. And then the poor have good news proclaimed to them. The word poor in the, with the Romans in the Roman world, it's really more talking about status as opposed to necessities that people have. And so those who think that they have low status, no, 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 not with God. All are worthy. God brings all of us in. God loves all of us. And so those who struggle with going, I am not worthy enough, are said, oh, but you are. God's love holds each of us. And then happy are those who don't stumble and fall because of me. That sense of strength, the sense of possibility that with Christ, with the grace that Christ brings to us, we are able to be strengthened for the journey ahead, for the way forward, for the way that we move through things, that God's grace is present with us, 
never leaving us, bringing us new perspectives, new abilities even, the ability to listen and understand, the, the ability to sit with others in love, to be able to bring new perspective that strengthens not only ourselves, but others. A refiner's fire that as we learn and allow more grace into our lives, as we realize how God's grace is ever present, never leaving us, that we are refined and shaped and come to new ways that we will not stumble and fall. Because everything's not going to work out perfectly for John. Like we might think, Herod's still going to take the action he is. He's still going to behead John. But here, the grace that Jesus is talking about, the grace that God has with John, has for his followers, but also for everyone else. Everyone else. And 2,000 years later, still has grace and love for each of us still shaping and molding and refining and unleashing a beauty and love that maybe we thought that at one time was impossible. Finishing up in verses 7 through 11. When John's disciples had gone, Jesus spoke to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A stalk blowing in the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed up in fine clothes? Look, those who wear refined clothes are in royal palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He is the one of whom it is written, Look, I'm sending my messenger before you, who will prepare your way before you. I assure you that no one who has ever been born is greater than John the Baptist. Yet... Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So as John's followers go to take that back about how grace is going to cover this world, about how grace is present with all people, how grace is refining and shaping all of us, as they go back and relay that message back to John, Jesus turns to everybody else that's around him. And he says, listen, God's grace has gone with John. God's grace is with John. God's grace has enabled John to preach that message of changed heart, changed life. God has been with John every step of the way and will not leave him. He is loved by God. But he's not the only one. All of us are. All of us who are lives that hold, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven... That sense of all of us, that all of us who have a life encompassed by God are right there with John. The sense that nobody is left out. That grace keeps choosing us with mercy and forgiveness. We keep being chosen for love. That God's presence is forever present with us refining, shaping, molding us for this response to the world, for the way that we engage with one another, for the way that we go about our day, that when we focus upon God's grace, 
even when things aren't clear, even when we begin to feel those fears, even when the despair starts to creep in, even when we're like, what in the world is happening? Or we start to get frustrated. God's grace is constantly pushing in, asking us, hey, let it, let this grace shape us and mold us. Let this grace guide us into new possibilities. May it help us to hear one another, to experience one another in new ways. How will God's grace shape and mold us this day? How, when we feel the ambiguity, that ambiguous, non-clear life pushing in on us, how will we notice God's grace shaping us, refining us this day? Amen. Thank you.